What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome to Take 2 of Season 2, Episode 18 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by TheGorillaPosition.com and presented by Hameen Media. We've got tons of stuff to go over today, but before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. I'm joined, as always, alongside my tag team partner, Huckleberry Number one rbv rick welcome back to your show it's me it's me it said order the beat of the v rick vickery back at it again again take two uh we had some weather issues yesterday but i'll tell you what uh maybe a blessing in disguise because uh topic to conversation yeah, yeah, we started to record the show yesterday, but Mother Nature said no, so I'm not exactly sure which holiday that you're going to be hearing this on, uh, May 3rd, which is, of course, Bullet Club Day, or May 4th, which is, of course, Star Wars Day. Rick, do you know the significance of uh, both of these days and how they came to be? Uh, I'll tell you what, um, I am interested to learn about uh, today being Bullet Club Day, uh, and the May 4th thing, I've never gotten Star Wars <clears throat> Excuse me there. I'm one of those individuals. I have actually never seen a Star Wars movie from start to finish. I, I get the general concept behind the plot and, and where they're going with certain things. Uh, I guess that, that would be for movies, what, four, five, and six? Yes. Uh, those are the ones that, that I, I understand. Outside of that, I have no idea what goes on inside the Star Wars universe. Okay, well, we'll save the the May the 3rd and the Bullet Club Day because we're going to talk a little bit about Wrestling Dontaku, which took place this morning, which is... May 3rd, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about Bullet Club Day when we get to there, but as far as May the 4th, this one's easy, man. May the 4th be with you. Well, yeah, I understand, you know, May the 4th be with you, you know, there's just a little play there, but uh, I, I know people, they, they go they go all in uh, when it comes to, you know, the things like Star Wars or or just, you know, the craze recently with the, the new Avengers movie. Uh, I Just me, I save my nerddom for professional wrestling. I, I, I got to throw one thing at you though, as from a marketing guy's perspective. All right. This is just one of those things that I, I I'm not technically a marketing guy, but I, I like to think that I do a little bit of marketing here. So there's a new star Wars movie movie coming out on the 25th of May on the 25th. There's absolutely no significance on the 25th of May. Why in the hell don't you release that movie on May the 4th? I see where you're going there. You, you try to tie all that together. Uh, but from from their standpoint, though, maybe, you know, you double dip. You've already got people kind of Star Wars crazy uh, about the fourth. You know, I've already seen that there's a couple stations where they're going to be running the movies all like marathons. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to have all that going on. There's other ways, you know, that they're going to see merchandise, probably sales. They probably spike a little bit on the fourth, you know, because people are just in that mindset of Star Wars. Uh, so the logic there, hey, we've already got this little, we've already got a grasp a little bit here on the market. You know, they're going to use our product. So let's double dip it and we'll give them the movie here in a couple weeks. Valid. Valid. That's a, that's a good explanation. See, this is why we keep you around, Huckleberry. Luckily yeah. for you, I have more marketing questions for you coming up a little bit later in the show. Let's start with 
all in. Because we've got a couple of big announcements. Of course, Rick made our big announcement in the Hami Media Discussion Group the other night during the SmackDown preview. Huckleberry, we are all in, brother. We will be in Chicago, Podcasters Row. Looking forward to this one. Very much looking forward to this. Over the top, excited about this one. You know, we got this news. Was it late Sunday? Uh, I, I guess early Sunday, Monday, sometime earlier this week. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was up all night, you know, just so many things running through my mind. I know both of us running through our minds as we were conversating, you know, how, how are we going to be able to stand out? You know, the potential, the, the people that we're going to be able to, to speak with, uh, just so much excitement going on with it. People are going to be sick and tired of hearing about this show coming out of our mouths by the time that this show is still four months away, four months away. But here is what we know at this point. Number one, first and foremost, we were booked before Flip Gordon. That is the most important thing that you are going to hear come out of my mouth today. Hashtag booked before flip. Number two, we now know that tickets will be going on sale May 13th, Mother's Day. Make sure that you're sitting by the computer. Make sure that you get mom what she really wants. She wants tickets to all in. Tickets go on sale 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Did that just for you, Huckleberry. Just for you. Now, I'm not the kind of guy that would watch this announcement like a half a dozen times and pause the screen and blow it up so I can read what's on the whiteboard. But maybe I watched this a half a dozen times and paused it and blew it up so I could read what was on the whiteboard. Rick, we have nine matches, nine matches on the all-in show. Does that do it for you? What do you think? That's probably a three to four hour show. I was going to say, is there a possibility maybe we get something added or maybe some other kind of special attraction there? Now, were you able to... Were you able to get make out any of these pairings yet? Well, I was able to make out one name. Everything else had been blacked out on the board. Uh, of course, they're playing that one pretty close to the chest. But they, they, they had a few things announced. Uh, number one, these are the names that we know are announced for All In, and then they kind of stooged one off without actually announcing it. So officially on the show at this point, you have the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Then you also have... Cody Rhodes, The Young Bucks, Marty Skrull, Adam Page, Kenny Omega, Stephen Amell, Tessa Blanchard, Deanna Perrazzo, Ray Phoenix, Pentagon Jr., Chelsea Green, Joey Janela, Penelope Ford, Kazuchika Okada, Jay Lethal, Britt Baker, and according to the whiteboard, we have the Briscoes. Well, you know, uh, the hands down the best tag team in the world, uh, in my opinion there, I guess it could be argued, but hey, you talk about your ad and the Briscoes here. That is a, a great addition to that lineup. And I'm always wondering, you know, we've got the teaser last week that Ring of Honor was, uh, you know, they're kind of putting it out there that we might see a program develop between the Bucks and the Briscoes. Uh, maybe we get a big payoff at all in. Ooh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Um, it also stooged off on the board. There will be three championship matches. I have, of course, assume that will be some combination of Ring of Honor slash New Japan championships, whatever championships are held by these gentlemen at that point. Um, also noted, they are $27,000 over budget. That very well may be a complete work, but there also will be 500 free biscuit party hats. I very much look forward to getting a biscuit party hat. I also found out that we will have special tickets in Media Row. I'm very much looking forward to that. But get your tickets May 13th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Well, I was going to say, you know, to, to all of our, you know, our great friends in the wrestling circles that we run in, 
Uh, if you are in the area or if you're planning on being there, uh, you know, we've got we're going to be on pod row on Thursday and it kind of leaves us Friday. We're going to be open. So, you know, you and I, we're, we're going to try to play a little mixer, a get together for everybody, possibly, you know, Friday evening, maybe a dinner, some drinks uh, to get everyone together. We can all, you know, conversate, get ready for the big show. Just hang out. You know who else I saw was announced for this show, although it's uh, through a, a little bit of a different medium. Uh, Bruce Pritchard will be doing a show at All In. Oh, I, I'm telling you, if we have an opportunity to hit this up, uh, you and I, we've got to go to that. Absolutely. I've actually been to one. Just a tremendous time. You know, just the great story. And it's even better than the podcast to have him there live. I know you just recently went uh, and saw Kevin Smith kind of in that same situation where he's just kind of up there just just telling stories. Just unloading. Just telling stories. Uh, that's what this is. I think you'd really enjoy it. I think I would, too. I think I would, too. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about the Bullet Club. Uh, before we get to uh, Wrestling Dantaku and what we learned this morning, we had uh, earlier this week, we have had it confirmed, and thank God, because I had a little bit of a hole in my soul. I did not realize how much I missed this stupid web show. The Being the Elite web series will be returning, hopefully soon. Rick, were you as happy about this as I was? You know, I told you going back, you, you were heartbroken when they announced that, that it was coming to an end. I said, hey, just give it time. You know these guys know what they're doing. They're going to relaunch this, maybe tweak it. Uh, but, yeah, we're getting it back, and this is some of the best programming. Uh, this is where you see some of, of the better storyline development in all professional wrestling. Uh, these, these guys, they hit the marks with, with this with this program, and I, I'm so happy to have it back. I, I'm hopeful that everybody enjoyed their month off because uh, Bullet Club is back, and, and they hit the ground running. Absolutely. Uh, first things first, we know that Flip Gordon evidently is going to be the man who is bringing the Bullet Club back together. Rick, I don't know if you actually saw this announcement. Uh, Flip Gordon, no longer active duty military. He was uh, released of that duty the other day. Congratulations to Flip. So I assume he's going full-time pro wrestler now. It's time to put a Bullet Club shirt on this guy. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and I did see that announcement. You know, thank, thank you to Flip for you know his great service to the country and all that. But I, I was thinking, how far does this get drawn out? Where it maybe it's, it becomes played out, or maybe there isn't like a an expiration date on this thing where it just it, you just keep it running. That he just he's always kind of on the fringe there, but he's never actually a part of it. Did you uh, get a chance to uh, see the? Oh, what the hell did they call it? Where where they were all sitting there going over their lines for season two. Did you have an opportunity to see that video I, yet? I, I did. When, when Flip asks if he can get booked on All In and Cody turns to him and says, Flip, listen, I love you. We're all great friends. But my character, my character hates your fucking guts. <laughs> I popped so freaking hard. Well, I mean, you know, at least there Cody is uh, being honest with him. <laughs> Uh, at least he didn't go to you know Twitter and block him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like like we've just recently seen, uh, you know, as, as we're talking about all in and who's going to be at that show. We've got this big movement out there for you know another platform that you and I are on over in the Hameen Media Group, where we're trying to get Ben Hameen himself and his great, uh, I guess, nemesis Dick Super Justice. We're, we're trying to get a trying to get a push to get those two on the show. Uh, we've got so many people that are constantly tagging uh, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Marty Scroll, Hagman Page, and, of course, Cody. 
Uh, so finally, I guess Cody had enough of it and has blocked Ben. Well, I guess you know what that means. Hami and Army, mount up. Blast these guys, man. I mean, but you know, it's also one of those things, too, where I almost wonder if this is completely unrelated and if this is, um, by extension, disco heat. It wouldn't surprise me if Cody Rhodes blocked everybody from the brand. Oh, yeah, that's uh, maybe we're going to have to look into that to see, you know, just how deep this truly runs. Yeah, yeah that wouldn't surprise me. I, I haven't had a chance to explore that at all yet. But Well, you know, I, I was thinking about when we we're on pod row at all in, you know, we're, we're going to have an opportunity to, to you know, possibly talk with Cody. Uh, I was thinking about getting a, a T-shirt made with uh, like a silhouette with Ben's picture on the front of it or, uh, you know, somewhere on the shirt and then uh, maybe have some words in there. Uh, I used to be Team Cody. <laughs> are, are you ready to officially make the jump? You know, you know what? I was I was ready. I was ready to dump Team Cody. But now that you bring up this point that this could run much deeper, uh, I, I'm going to... I'm going to hold off right now. I, I want to figure out. I want to get to the bottom of this. Well, thing. after we talk about Don Taku this morning, we'll see if you're still uh, on Team Cody, that Ooh, freaking vile so, bastard. Something something to look forward to as we're, as we're going down this run. I, I can't help it. Let's just let's just go ahead. We'll jump into Don Taku. I had a couple quotes here from Abushi, but we'll, we'll save those for when the Abushi and Cody part of this show. Um, so wrestling Don Taku, today is... The fifth anniversary of the Bullet Club. Bullet Club. Four, 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 four. The Bullet Club was born on May 3rd, five years ago. Huh? In Dantaku at the at the wrestling Dantaku event. So for the five-year anniversary of the Bullet Club. They decide we're going to have a whole bunch of matches where it's Bullet Club versus Bullet Club because what better way to celebrate, right? That seems like it makes sense. Uh, so, Dantaku starts off with uh, Chase Owens and Yujiro Takahashi picking up a big win over uh, a couple of young boys. Nothing nothing big to talk about coming out of the match, but they're, they're already establishing that Bullet Club narrative and kind of setting the tone for the show. Uh, a couple other kind of toss-away matches that we had on this show. Jushin Liger, Ryusuke Taguchi, Tiger Mask 4, uh, go over Ren Narita. To I can't even say this one. Tomoyuki Oka. Let's just call him Oka. He's a young lion. It doesn't even matter what his name is. And Yuji Nagata, Blue Justice. Uh, Taguchi over Narita on that one. Rapungi 3K over Suzuki-Goon. Uh, this one was uh, uh, quite the... Um, um, perplexing situation, I guess. Uh, Killer Elite Squad came out here just full of piss and vinegar. Jump on Rapungi 3K. Ooh, interesting there. Proceed to just beat the ever-loving snot out of them for about two and a half minutes, and then out of the middle of nowhere, they just roll up Davy Boy and pin him. Like, schoolboy style. I thought Killer Elite Squad was going to completely lose their shit. Wow, so they, they so they were, they, were, they were able to steal the victory there, huh? Yeah, they absolutely took the victory, even though they took an ass-whooping. And they did take an ass-whooping. But they actually walk away with the victory there. I mean, I'm just sitting here, I'm thinking about, I mean, just the, just the size differential between these two. Yeah, and I mean, it was, it was a distraction, just out of nowhere, schoolboy rolled him up, 
quick one, two, three. Davy Boy was getting up in Tiger Atori's face, and it was either show or yo, I forget which one, just came up and hit him with a schoolboy, and Tiger counted the pinfall. Did you see a little side note here that, that Jake Roberts has dropped those charges? I uh, did against, see that. Against Davy Boy Jr.? I did see that. I did see that the uh, New Orleans Police Department, on the other hand, has not. Oh, okay. So they are still pursuing it themselves. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, this this was a, a kind of an interesting story coming out of this show, and I, I don't quite understand this one. Had this happen a couple times tonight. So the next match is a, is Chaos, Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, Toro Yano, Yoshihashi, and Switchblade. Now, they defeat the team of David Finley and Juice Robinson and Michael Elgin, who looked freaking great, by the way, um, Hanari and Makabe. Blade Runner, no big news here. But Jay White comes out individually. Like, his team comes out, the four of them, and then his opponents come out, the five of them, and then Jay White gets his own special entrance. What the hell is that all about? I wonder if he's got to have some, he's got to have dirt on somebody. Like, it just seems so weird and random, you know? Well, you know, that I could totally see that, like, in uh, in the WWE universe. But that doesn't fit in here in New Japan at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah, very, very confusing. Well, I mean, traditionally... Like you said, like the rest of the team, they, they all come out together. They all walk to the ring together. They come out to the, you know, the same entrance. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're setting him apart here. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of that story with Jay White. You know, obviously the promotion is very high on him. Uh, they're moving him along uh, very rapidly through the ranks. And Kevin Kelly did put over in the commentary that Jay White is going to be very closely watching that Okada and Tanahashi match tomorrow. And it's just like, what the freaking hell is going on here? I mean, I know Jay White said he would go after Okada, but it just seems like he's in chaos, but he's not really in chaos, and he doesn't associate with chaos, and he doesn't come out with the rest of chaos, and now he's going to go after the head of chaos. Like, what the hell is going on here? And this was not the only head-scratching moment like this on this show. So what was kind of like the dynamic during the match? It was just a match. It was just okay, a so match. They, like the, they, didn't, they didn't like play to... Not really uh, any Jay tension is, amongst amongst the, the, the group or anything. I mean, it, it's a 10-man tag. It ends up being basically a car wreck. And, right. and really, the only thing that they're putting over inside of the commentary is that Jay White is interested in going after the heavyweight championship and that he is 10 and one against David Finley and they're going to fight forever. Like that was the entire point of this match. And it's like, we know this. We've, we, we've seen this match. And this is one of the things about New Japan that just drives me absolutely insane. At least with WWE, they put all their big matches on one show. When you scatter them throughout the tour like this, the David Finley versus Jay White match, that happened, what, two weeks ago? And these guys are still wrestling in tag matches because they're on the tour. So they just kind of pair them up against each other on the tour and you need to kind of fill out your card. So you come up with some of these uh, different dynamics. Yep. 
Yep. It's just one of those, that's one of those big flaws inside of the new Japan booking to me. Uh, then we go to bullet club versus bullet club again as the super villains, Marty Skrull, Nick Jackson, and Matt Jackson win the never open weight six man championships from Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, and bad luck Fale by pinfall more bang for your buck. Wow. Yeah. What did you think of that one? Uh-huh. That, this this is a big shakeup here. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. They come out and they shake hands before the match. And everybody does, you know, the little fist bump handshake. And then the bell rings and they have the match. And at the end of the match, the gorillas and Fale go over and pick up their belts. And they go over and they hand the belts to the Bucks and... Then they just walk away. Better team won. No drama whatsoever. None. You, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that that route that they're going there with that. You know, uh, oh geez, uh, you know, on the surface, yeah, it's okay. You got the best of us. Uh, the belts they still stay in the club. Uh, here, congratulations. But you got to think though. Uh, there's such there's potential to really move that forward. Is maybe there's something you know brewing within them. Uh, something that maybe they're not going to just right now come outward with. Uh, maybe we get something uh, with being the elite. Uh, maybe we, you know, we get some true feelings or we see some backstage development from that. Uh, this also being the first time that you see uh, kind of the American version of the Bullet Club versus the OG Japanese version of the Bullet Club. I thought this was very, very interesting. At the beginning of the night, as I mentioned, Yujiro Takahashi and Chase Owens come out. And they are wearing these very nice fifth anniversary Bullet Club robes that are all individually stitched with their names and everything on it. And then on the back, it lists every person who has ever been in the Bullet Club. And they've got the the big wrestling Dontaku logo. And I, they were pimp looking. Well, I was going to say, so one of those going to be made available for... Uh... Hopefully soon, because I kind of want one. Uh, so then... Fale, Tamatanga, Tongaloa, they come out wearing the robes. Guess who doesn't? The Young Bucks and Marty Skrull. And I'm thinking, ooh, this is kind of an interesting development and an interesting dynamic that we have going on here. Then later on in the night, Cody Rhodes comes out. He's not wearing a robe. Ibushi, of course, obviously not an official member of the Bullet Club, so he doesn't get one. Hangman doesn't come out wearing the robe. But guess who does? Kenny Omega. Ah, you know, it's what that, that is. It's something very subtle, but can mean so much going forward uh, with what we've got happening here in the Bullet Club. Very intriguing. Very intriguing. Um, I, I, I expect a big debut tonight, Rick. I am expecting a big debut. Big debut. People are just dying for this one. We've missed him while he was gone. I think the Bone Soldier is coming back tonight. Now, originally, the Bone Soldier was kind of a joke. Uh, the Bone Soldier, if you didn't know, was Captain New Japan. And basically what the story was is the guy who played Captain New Japan sucked. He went away for a while, came back under the Captain New Japan gimmick and sucked. So then he joined Chaos and he got thrown out of Chaos because he sucked. And this went on and on and on until he joined the Bullet Club and they rebranded him Bone Soldier. And 
he was thrown out of the Bullet Club because he sucked. And it turns out that the person who played all of these characters also sucked and then got fired from New Japan Pro Wrestling. I would so, say, did he get did he get busted for like a, in a gambling scam? Yes, which in Japan is even far worse than what you could begin to make it out to be in the United States. Um, but so now the interesting question becomes, who is going to be the bone soldier? Who is going to play this gimmick? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I didn't think uh, there was some speculation that it's not going to be the same individual, right? That they're going It is to not. Okay, so they've reached out to bringing someone new in to fill the gimmick. Yes. Now, here is the interesting thing. Everybody knows that the Bone Soldier sucked. The Bone Soldier is coming back because your boy, Cody Rhodes, defeated Kenny Omega and thinks that he is now the leader of the Bullet Club. And one of his first orders of business is to bring back the Bone Soldier. Because that's a brilliant idea. So... <clears throat> Do we do we try to speculate? Like, is this going to be somebody that's close to Cody, or do we think this is actually going to be a, a New Japan gimmick and somebody not affiliated with Cody whatsoever that they're bringing in to actually fill the role? Well, I, I, I'm trying to think where I saw it. I actually saw a couple of the names that were rumored uh, to be coming in to fill the spot. And I, I've like... heard a couple, and none of them seem to have connection to Cody. Well, that's what I was going to say the ones that i've seen uh nothing really has a tie with with anything cody's done uh i i think the most intriguing possibility that i have heard as if it is somebody close to cody would be bernard the business bear and i would like to see that because i would like to see a giant bone soldier mask on bernard the business bear i think that would be absolutely fantastic uh a couple of other worth mentioning names that I've heard going around. Um, probably the most intriguing, as we were talking about earlier, the former soldier. Wouldn't it make sense for Flip Gordon to become the bone soldier? Oh, that'd be a, a complete swerve there on, on Cody's behalf. Or it could be a complete swerve against Cody. Oh, uh, really kind of, well, it's Cody who's bringing this individual in, correct? Uh, yeah, storyline-wise, yeah. Right. Or, you know, it could be, I mean, Cody did get fooled once. Well, they could play the whole dynamic where, you know, he's under the mask and, and Cody's like the only person in the world that doesn't get that. That's flip. I mean, I remember the whole Barry incident. Yeah. You know, I mean, Cody has been fooled before, so that is a possibility. Uh, I, I like this possibility a lot and I hope that this is actually accurate, but I don't think that it's going to be. And that is Kitamura. Um, obviously we reported on this earlier, um, just a couple of weeks ago, Kitamura suffered a concussion and there's been a lot of speculation that Kitamura has been let go from new Japan pro wrestling. Uh, you may know Kitamura as the giant freaking Japanese guy who wears the, uh, crazy mouth guard young lion, uh, who, who looks kind of like the Japanese version of Brian cage. I would love to see him in that role. I think that would be absolutely awesome. Uh, and then probably the most popular opinion going forward at this point, and I think this is a huge blow to Impact Wrestling if this is the case, and that is Ishimori. It sounds like Ishimori has announced his resignation from Pro Wrestling Noah. That news broke a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think that's the name that I saw, the one that was at the top of the list. Yeah, um, he is former X Division champion. That guy can freaking go. I'd almost hate to see them put him underneath of a mask, but 
I think that's an interesting possibility. That's a huge blow to Impact Wrestling, though. I feel like he has really caught fire inside of Impact. What about uh, – let me just throw something out here. There's a name you mentioned before. You said he looked phenomenal uh, in the Big Ten, man. What if they did something here, and it kind of seems he's one of those guys that just continually is just kind of floating around. Uh, they can push him up a little bit when they need to, but then he kind of gets pulled back a little bit. What about someone like uh, Michael Elgin? Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, it seems as though Michael Elgin is going to be feuding with Hiroki Goto for the Never Openweight Championship. Uh, although, for some strange reason, Tai Chi from Suzuki Goon is trying to weasel his way into that match. It doesn't seem like a very smart fit. Like, I feel like both Elgin and Goto would just kill Tai Chi. Hey, uh, I just this is completely off topic, but this headline is too good not to, to share with you. Uh, I've got ESPN on here in the background. Uh, it's obviously the sound is off, but the headline Redskins are forcing cheerleaders to pose topless. <laughs> Yay, women's revolution. I, I don't know what, what any of that entails or what that means, but that is one of the best headlines. Well, you, uh, so. you know what that clearly needs to happen is the WWE needs to go do a show in Washington, D.C. and turn that place around. It's a subtle, yeah. subtle shot. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go forward to Los Ingobernables de Japón. That'll be $100, Mr. Rhodes. Thank you. Uh, Bushi, Evil, Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito go over Suzuki-Goon. El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Tai Chi, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. by pinfall. A uh, couple of interesting notes coming out of this match. Uh, Rick, I know that we had been dying. What was Naito going to do to the Intercontinental Championship? What is the worst thing that you think Naito could possibly do to the Intercontinental Championship. Well, you, you know, like we've seen with his last run, where I mean, just completely disrespecting it. Uh, essentially, he pretty much trashed the title. I, I don't know, what, you know, what more he could do outside of maybe like defecating on it. Just forget it. Just leave it somewhere. He didn't even bring the belt with him. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic, and Suzuki was pissed. <laughs> let's just hope. Let's just hope that uh, Hexel Jim Duggan's not backstage working as a janitor. Uh, just happens to find it, you know, just laying around and it just claims himself to be the champion. Hilarious. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, this was another one of those interesting kind of matches, though, and I think I might be on to something here. So Suzuki-Gun comes out and they come out to Suzuki's music, of course, and they introduce all of Suzuki-Gun. And this includes Zack Sabre Jr. He's rejoining the tour. And they go through and they give the big Japanese entrance for Zack Sabre Jr. And he doesn't do the like pop the collar pose thing like he normally does. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And so they go through and they announce everybody else and they announce Suzuki and Suzuki tears off the towel and everything. And then before they can even hit the LIJ music, Taka Michinoku grabs a hold of the microphone and does the big Zack Sabre Jr. entrance where he talks for like two and a half minutes. And he goes through all of LIJ, come on out here, and just tap out. I think Zack Sabre Jr. is going to throw Minoru Suzuki out of Suzuki-Goon and take it over as Sabre-Goon. I know you've, you've been kind of talking about this for a while. It, it does seem that they are we're getting maybe that little bit of a slow burn in that direction. 
How do you feel about that? I don't know. I also thought it was weird that tonight when Suzuki came out, he was in a very good mood. He was like clapping along with the crowd. You know, conducting the music as everybody's singing along to it. Like what the hell happened to Suzuki? This guy's supposed to be the most terrifying man on the planet. And all of a sudden he's second fiddle in his own group. Well, could we get maybe the setup here is that he willingly passes it on? That could be too. That could be too. Although uh, Suzuki was not nice to the man that he took Suzuki Goon from. So I think this is kind of an interesting development, something to uh, absolutely keep your eyes on. Uh, Then the other big thing coming out of this match, of course, was the post-match angle. Yes, there was a post-match angle. No, it did not involve Chris Jericho. I expect that one's going to happen tonight. But this time around, the Young Bucks, two-thirds of the newly crowned six-man never-open-weight champions, come out and they get right up in the face of Evil and Sonata and say, guess what? We're heavyweights. We're the best tag team on the planet, and we want those belts. So we're finally getting uh, the Bucks making a a big statement since their move to the heavyweight division, you know, they're, they're ready to uh, become major players in the game. Sonata and Evil kind of look at each other, raise the belts, tap the belts together, and for their troubles, they both eat a super kick. That was very nice. That was very nice. Just laid them both out. Afterwards, Evil gets up, grabs the microphone, and says, if you want them, come and get them. So we're going to get LIJ versus Bullet Club. What do you think? Are, are we just going to load up Bullet Club here with titles going into All In? Is that a possibility at this point? You know, something just uh, so crazy popped in my mind. You know, we're talking about Bone Soldier. We're talking about all these developments going between these two, LIJ, Bullet Club. What if, in maybe it's in a swerve way, what if somehow Jericho is the Bone Soldier? Oh, wouldn't that be some shit? Wouldn't that be some shit? I mean, if you're talking, you were looking at maybe since this is Cody's initiative and we're thinking maybe it has some kind of tie. I mean, uh, Jericho, Cody, I mean, that's easy to link together. That's very easy to link together. That's one hell of a swerve. Uh, I I know we had that. Well, and especially, I mean, you can look at this from another, uh, a few different ways and maybe they recreate that character. So yeah, it is Jericho, but he's under this, you know, this tweak persona um if if cody really wants to stick it to kenny uh you know from a storyline wise i mean what better way than i mean that was that was a blood feud that those two had earlier in the year uh or or you could even twist it you know we we know since then you could do work now you know maybe there is some respect between jericho and kenny uh, because as we all know, after you know that that very heated match that they had, they turned around and did a podcast together, kind of explaining everything. Interesting, interesting. And then, of course, there's also the Don Callis connection. That's always there as well. Uh, let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, Okada and Tanahashi and Kushida and Osprey. They had a match on this uh, card tag match and this is another one of those weird things for me rick so kushida comes out first and then osprey comes out and then tanahashi comes out 
And then Okada comes out. Like, what the hell is going on here? Are, are, are we, like, trying to mess with the formula here? Why would you? It just seems weird. I understand that it's all just to get the face-offs and all that, but it just seems weird. Yeah, I mean, you've got one faction that's just up and down, you know, this tour just taking taking each other on, and now they're kind of shaking it up here, so we're, we're getting a very different dynamic. Yeah, very odd. Uh, in the end, Okada goes over on Kushida. I don't think there's any uh, big surprises there. Tonight's the night, man. Okada Tanahashi. They didn't really do a whole lot to actually hype this match during this match. But, of course, you know, the stream goes live for about a half hour before the actual show starts. And so I, I put that on just kind of in the background so I didn't miss the opening of the show. And they're running these vignettes, man, where they go through and they show every one of Okada's wins. And then they go show through and they show every one of Tanahashi's wins on this quest to get to 12 wins. It's really cool. It's really cool. The video package that they've put together for this entire thing. I still don't know how to call it, though. Uh, you know, I'm still going to go with I, I think that, that this is Okada's match. Uh, I'm looking forward to you know, seeing how it actually plays out. You know how it develops, how they, uh, how they, how they interact with one another post match. Uh, to me, is just as telling for this thing. Uh, but you brought up so many good points. So I mean, if it's going to happen, this is it, right? Unless unless Okada's gonna, if he gets past this this hurdle here, I mean, you have Dominion, you have King of Pro Wrestling. Um, you have anybody that would happen to beat Okada inside of the G1 would be owed a, a championship match. But I, I think you're right, man. I think it goes all the way to Wrestle Kingdom, and then it's a matter of who. Well, we, you know, we were talking. Were we, were we talking about this in the locker room? I believe you so. Know, you get to the point where, I mean, you look at the names that he has defeated, uh, that he has overcome as champion. When you start looking you know, past the ace here, who really is? Who is it? Uh, you know, we in comparison uh, to WWE. You know, the you know the big conversation is: man, if Roman couldn't get get over on Brock, uh, who's going to be that person? Who's going to be the one that takes down you know the champ? And in this case here, I mean, if it's not the Ace, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised now at this point. You know, the treatment he's getting for like a Jay White or something like that. But uh, but when, but who and when? There's also the possibility. I, I we we've speculated for months now who's going to be the guy to take down Okada. What if the answer is there's nobody? What if Okada just keeps holding this freaking belt? I mean, what if we're in the middle of a Bruno San Martino run where Okada holds this thing for five six years? Oh man, I'd be, I I think that would be pretty cool. I just don't know. Do you think we could see something like that in this day and age? I don't know, but I didn't think that we'd see anybody hold the title for two years, and Okada's getting pretty damn close. He's up to about 630 days now. I mean, it's yeah, possible. Such, a, such an impressive run. How often does he defend that thing? Well, I mean, this is going to be... It just seems... This will be seems, number 12. Okay, but it seems like as of late, maybe he's defending more than you see most champs uh, from New Japan. I don't know. It, it, it seems right around there. I mean, you have Wrestle Kingdom, and then whoever wins New Japan Cup, 
you'll have Dantaku, you'll have Dominion, then the G1. I mean, I, I, I feel like we see Okada wrestle a lot. It's just that the title's not necessarily on the line a lot, which is one of those differences in New Japan booking versus WWE booking. Right. And then, yeah, because then you, we see him, you know, as they're setting things up, you know, he's working a lot of, of tag matches like he is here or uh, multi-man tag matches, things like that. So he is he is there. He, he is available. He is present. But just the title's not always on up the for line. grabs. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I would just be kind of curious to see. So he's averaging six title defenses a year. Um, which to six me, to I, eight, I, yeah. Okay. To me, I think that that is plenty. That's all you need. Uh, you know, one thing, yeah, I'm one of those that I'm okay with, with how they do that with Brock, you know, that he takes off and you only come back for these big moments when there really is someone uh, deserving of an opportunity like that. I would just, I'm kind of curious. It would be nice. <clears throat> it would be nice if he was a bit more like Okada though, where he was at least around to be in tag matches, to set stuff up, to have just to be there to cut promos, to set stuff up. So many of Brock's matches at this point become the other person carrying the setup to the match. Can you, can you imagine have to be the guy that goes over to, oh yeah, Brock, uh, we're bringing you in. You're going to be working a uh, six man. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Good uh, I got, freaking I got luck. a feeling. I got a feeling he's going to tell you where, uh, where to go. You know, at $635,000 a match, be like, whatever you want, boss, whatever you want me to do. You want me to work? I will work. Uh, let, let, let's talk about the two big main events here, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit of marketing stuff with the expert here. Uh, Cody Rhodes goes over Kota Ibushi clean by pinfall. Um, it, I don't think it was as good as the Wrestle Kingdom match, but I think it's very, very interesting that Cody just keeps racking up these wins against guys like Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega I I would probably put this three and a half, three and three quarter stars. I don't think it was quite the four star match that they had at Wrestle Kingdom, but it was completely fine for what it was. Uh, one big thing that we really have to stop doing, though, and I think Cody might have learned this lesson the hard way. We don't treat Japanese tables like we do American tables. Oh, okay. A little wicked bump here. Uh, Well. Kota Ibushi basically gave Cody a coup de gras on while Cody was laying on a Japanese table. Guess what? Table didn't break. Oh. So then Ibushi goes up and gives him another coup de gras onto the table. This time the table broke a little bit. And basically like Cody's ass went through the table and that was about it. Yeah, that was kind of rough. Uh, it can't be any worse than the, the table spot that they just had on Honor Club where uh, him and Taven were in the first blood match. Yeah. It was like the original table. Is, it literally, <laughs> I think, was, looked like it was like from the 30s. And when they broke it, it just splintered everywhere. Like the huge uh, the huge cuts of wood, it looks like you could just impale somebody with. Yeah, this was like the opposite table. This was like super table. Of course, you know, <laughs> the, the tables in Japan aren't nearly as long or nearly as wide. So the, there's not nearly as much there to break. And yeah, using tables in Japanese matches, just not a good idea. Not a good idea. Have you ever had to like sleep in a bed that's set up for, uh, for like Japanese travelers or their culture or anything like that? No. 
over in Hawaii is a, is a huge uh, vacation destination for for the people of Japan. Yep. Uh, so you have a lot of the hotels, you know, are set up where, uh, you know, they're they're considerably in stature. Shorter Small, than, they're smaller individuals than we are. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm six four, six three, right around there, six four. Literally, uh, like my at the end of the bed, like my knees would bend <laughs> to like oh touch god. the floor. <laughs> oh my god! It was terrible. I didn't I didn't get one like good night of sleep there. But you know what? I was in Hawaii, so I wasn't really complaining. So everything goes fine <clears throat> for Abushi and Cody. I mean. Granted, Cody's the heel, so he's he's pulling a few of his dirty tricks, but nothing like completely out of the realm of possibility. And then his boy Hangman Page comes out for the main event. Kenny Omega comes out for the main event. And Cody Rhodes jumps Kenny Omega before the main event can begin. And you end up with a two-on-one beatdown of Kenny Omega. So earlier in the night, just to recap, you have the OGs and the supervillains exchanging handshakes, exchanging titles, the better guy won. And then you have that bastard Cody Rhodes jumping Kenny Omega before the main event against Hangman Page. Splits Kenny open right in the top of the head. A new, uh, a newly died Kenny Omega. He is all blonde now, taking a page out of the out of your boy's book, going with the blonde hair so he can get busted open and get that real nice red hairdo. He had that working for most, well, actually, all of the match. This very much felt like a showcase match for Hangman Page, where one of those matches where Hangman gets over, even though somehow, some way, Kenny catches Hangman with a V-trigger and hits him with a one-wing angel, even a bloody mess. Kenny goes over on the Hangman. Any uh, any words from from uh, Kenny afterwards, or imagine this: Kenny cuts the go home promo. And he cuts 90% of it in Japanese. Now, either Kenny got dropped on his head awful hard, which he did because he was bleeding from the head. Or maybe we have a change of heart here from Kenny Omega and Bullet Club is going to actually embrace the Japanese fans. That doesn't seem right either, does it? Yeah, so it's so much kind of going on, just maybe like little subtle changes happening throughout this entire show. Uh, as you said, you know, they kind of spread out these big matches across the entire tour. But I mean, this sounds like uh, it was, a, a, you know, just from storylines going forward, a very interesting show. Yeah, good show. Good show. Uh, especially if you're a Bullet Club guy. It was a good show. Uh, not not a whole lot of the the other stuff going on to where you're like, eh, I don't really care. And eh, don't really care. I mean, even the matches that you would have, it's like LIJ versus Suzuki. You know, it's still stuff that the Western audience enjoys watching. Um, speaking of the Western audience, that's a nice segue into what I wanted to talk to you about here. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling Cow Palace tickets went on sale the other day, and it seems as though they have kind of hit a wall. They have about 4,500 tickets sold. They have a 10,000-seat configuration. Tickets have been on sale now for about three days. Of course, when they were doing these shows in Long Beach, they were selling out in a matter of, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Has New Japan hit their Western ceiling here? 
Well, I was going to say um, the Long Beach. Well, that was only a couple hundred people, right? Or like 2,500? 4,500. 4,500. So uh, right so, about it, what they've sold now. Uh, and, you know, that was that was a big question. I know that, you know, you, how involved you are with New Japan, that you were thinking, you know, what what is the ceiling here? Are they going to be able to pull this off with such a large arena, uh, especially how it's just going to look, you know, in comparison to the goals that have been set for the all-in show? Uh, I think. If I am them, if if I right now if I'm New Japan and you you're right, you got you gotta be staring hard at that forty five hundred number. Uh, if that's where you're sitting here, I think the best direction they could go in right now, you know, to maybe pull some more eyes on their product is they need to reach out and get someone that the West is more familiar with. Well, and that's I think where Jericho plays into this whole thing. I think if you could really, if you could line up, uh, if you could line up a Jericho to maybe come in and help, you know, boost those ticket sales, that's going to work. And we know there is that working relationship with a Ray Mysterio. If you could get both of those guys added to that show, uh, I see you, you probably have another surgence of, of ticket sales here. I don't know if they're going to hit that 10,000 mark, but I could see Ray and Jericho adding, uh, know up to upwards to uh, maybe maybe they double their sales well i guess that would put them right around there then yeah if if you add to this show ray mysterio versus jushin liger or ray mysterio versus will osprey both of those matches were teased at strong style evolved and you add chris jericho versus tetsuya naito for the intercontinental championship i, I say I easily see him getting uh, maybe to that 10, but I mean, at least uh, maybe 8,000. Well, and I think the, the, one of the big questions here, how much is strong style evolved and all in kind of bookending where they position this G one special in the United States? How much of that is affecting this? I mean, people can only travel to these events so much. And, and you are. And I think a lot of fans, if you really are, and you know, and you got these these ticket sales. They just happen. You got to remember, a lot of people, uh, if for what they're able to spend on wrestling, a lot of people just kind of, um, you know, they they broke their bank. We just we're just coming off WrestleMania. Yeah, coming off WrestleMania. A uh, week before that, Strong Style evolved. We're saving money for All In. Right, that's what I'm thinking. You know, we, if we're looking at it, uh, you know, my good friend Kevin Mice, he just got back from WrestleMania, and I was talking to him about some other shows, and he said, "Man, I, I kind of." you know, blew my wad on, on my WrestleMania trip. So if some people are doing that, and then even if you do have, or you're budgeting to go to another show, you're making that plan. I think a lot of fans are, they're more familiar with it. There's more hype around it. They're probably saving up and getting ready for all in over this show. Yeah. So you, you really only pulling in uh, that West coast market there. Yeah. I, I think this was terrible timing for new Japan. Uh, I, I thought that doing two events in the States this year was a bad idea because th this cow palace show was announced after it was announced that they were doing all in. Uh, and I think, I think with maybe they would have had more success if they went to the East coast for the second time around. Yeah. I think that's a good call too. If they would have done New York city, I think, I think they would have sold a hell of a lot more tickets instead of hitting California again. If you could have got somewhere uh, in New York, you know, one that just pops in my mind, which I think the mystique of it, like maybe if you could get something going over at the Manhattan Center. Uh, I don't know what their capacity is there, but I think you could have, you know, seen great success for a show uh, with just with the tie-ins with the, the history of professional wrestling there. Uh, but anywhere, I think if you would have went to the East Coast, 
uh, especially in that northeast, they would have had no problem. Yep, completely agreed. Uh, if they add Jericho to this show, if they add Jericho to this show and he goes to this show and he sells, let's let's just say that ticket sales go up 3,000 tickets. Jericho gets added to this show in an Intercontinental Championship match against Tetsuya Naito. Let's just say that Jericho goes to that show and he wins the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, thus solidifying him as the greatest intercontinental champion in history where does that leave jericho's legacy you know it's it's, over these last couple years i think jericho has just done an incredible job of of truly elevating himself to one of those individuals that uh you know he's he's not obviously he's not going to be up there with like the likes of, of a hulk hogan or a stone cold steve austin or a rock uh but he's one of those i i think that Right now, and if he could capture, uh, you know, the Intercontinental Championship over with New Japan, I think that elevates him most certainly above the likes of like a Shawn Michaels and a Bret Hart. Yeah, I think Jericho, he's been calling himself the GOAT for a long time. When you really look at this guy's full body of work, going from CMLL to Japan to ECW, WCW, WWE, back to Japan... He's making one hell of a case. Well, I just think, you know, but, and look how, how often he reinvents himself. You know, he, he goes with the trends. He's been able to work, you know, so many different eras, so many different personalities. And he's constantly, you know, taking his, you know, taking what he brings to the table is one of the most entertaining parts of any program that he's on. Uh, the, I think there's, when, you, when you're talking about those true greats, some of those guys that kind of supersede what professional wrestling is, uh, it's he's not quite there yet, but with you know within though the world of professional wrestling, uh, he's right there. I, it's, it's hard to argue that he is one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, very much agreed. So let's go ahead. We're gonna throw it over to the break, and then when we come back, we're gonna go through and we're gonna talk about the Raw Men Singles Division, the Tag Team Division, of course, the Jersey Mike segment presented by Kleenex. All kinds of fun stuff coming up in segment two. All kinds of fun stuff. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is a song about five simple words that when used together properly can help to relieve the stress, frustrations, and aggravation caused by all the people that make me want to freak them. Yeah. Why do you have to go and make things so hard? It doesn't have to be like this. Look how you think you are. That's it. I'm walking away. It's just one more reason for me to say, I don't give a f- 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 Who's always hassling me And the people that I work with harassing me And to the ones talking when their backs to me And to my loving parents through my wonderful teenage years To my ex-girlfriend who cheated on me To my ex-teachers that never believed in me To the people who always want something for free And to the President of the United States of America I don't give a I don't give a I don't give a I don't give a About you And your point of view Or your stupid selfish attitude Fantasy, I hate you. It's true, but I don't give up. 
song do not necessarily represent those of the record company or their affiliates. Anyone wishing to voice a complaint or opinion can visit Hey, this is Stevie Richards. I'm here to tell you, you don't necessarily need all this equipment to get in the best shape of your life. All you need is this, a resistance band. I'm so excited to offer the 12-week resistance band training program to you, which features an interactive PDF with full overview videos, modifications, descriptions of all the exercises, scalability, no matter what fitness level or what age you are, the PDF scales the workout to you. Also, after your instant download of the PDF, you get full direct email support right from me, as well as access to a Facebook group with an awesome interactive community. I can't wait to help you take control of your fitness journey. So just put in stevierichardsfitness.com, go to the store, and download the 12-week resistance band training program. Hey, what's up, you Melvins? It's your boy TKO Ryan, one third of the best six man tag team on the planet, The Kingdom. And you were listening to The Locker Room with RBV and Jargo. So we're back for segment two. I think I'm going to play something by Dope for the musical break. I don't know what, but I'm going to play something by Dope. I didn't swear a whole lot. Maybe I'll play Die Motherfucker Die. Maybe we'll use that. Maybe that'll be the, the, the segment music. Anyway, let's talk about the. Uh, WWE and what happened on WWE TV for the go-home shows for Backlash, the big show coming up Sunday night on the WWE Network. Uh, Rick, we, we, we had quite the heated debate over in the locker room this past Monday. And this should be the part where I apologize, but I'm not like the WWE. I'm not going to do that. I firmly stand by everything that I said. But I guess my question for you are you any more excited about Backlash than you were about the Greatest Royal Rumble? Because I'm not excited about this one either. Well, I was going to say, you know, I I went into the looking at the Greatest Royal Rumble ever. I, I had a great deal of excitement uh, as we got ready for that show. If anything, you know, it was because of of the big names that were coming in. I, that I knew it was going to be this grand spectacle, which it ended up being. I thought they did a tremendous job, you know, especially from the production angle of that. Uh, but when it comes to backlash, uh, absolutely, I almost want to say like zero interest in this thing. Yeah, I'm pretty checked out on this one. Pretty checked out on this. And one. And I think it's it's almost because you know they have just flooded us over this last month with these big events. Yep. Uh, and it, it's really it it really has done none of them any favors. Uh, you know, even going into WrestleMania, it was a terrible build going in, though on paper, uh, tr- tremendous show on paper, and the actual in-ring action at that event was uh was was better than than not uh then we have this quick turnaround here for just this grand spectacle in saudi arabia and then this backlash it this just really seems to be uh backlash it seems like some backwash yeah yeah very much agreed very much agreed uh 
so the two shows this week uh, both came to us from Montreal. I kind of felt like it was all one show. Uh, so, so we're all gonna, we're gonna do all of it in segment two here, but rather than doing a full raw review and a full SmackDown review, I thought let's just kind of take a look at the individual divisions inside of the shows and just talk about what happened there. Uh, but let's kick things off with Roman Reigns because as our boy, Billy Ray Valentine says, it's all about Roman Reigns and well, yeah, it pretty much is very, very interesting week. For one, Mr. Roman Reigns, uh, he comes out and he cuts the promo that I told you Monday in the locker room over at hackerhameen.podbean.com. He was going to cut Brock Lesnar didn't show up for work today. So sick of this program, man. I'm, I'm just over this. And now Roman Reigns is claiming that he is the rightful champion of the universe. You know, this entire thing, you know, before we really jump in, you were mentioning that uh, both of these shows came from Montreal. Uh, I just, you know, a hat tip to the fans up there. They were really hot. For both nights here uh, and not so much in the sense of where you see some of these you know places that are revered for being some of the best fans like a philly where you know they're just overbearing they're, they're too smarky they try to make the show about themselves uh these montreal fans they they actually just add it to the program uh and they were hot for for both nights uh, it really it, it really does add to the show when you have crowds like that so uh hat tip to them there the only thing that really irritated me about the montreal crowd was WWE's explanation of the Montreal crowd. I'm sorry, that was not Bizarro World in any way, shape, or form. You could have easily predicted the response that every single superstar got out of Montreal. Well, let's, I'm going to talk about two things here that I, I really didn't like WWE's direction with. Uh, that would be one. And that's, right, that's kind of like is their, their scapegoat because we see that every year after WrestleMania. Uh, that's almost like an advertising ploy now that they rely on for that Raw uh, because it's out of their control. And then they're trying to put this twist on it where they embrace it when you absolutely know they, they can't stand it. Yep. Uh, another direction here, though, with Reigns coming out, he cuts the promo that, that you called. I really was not a fan whatsoever of WWE, uh, essentially, you know, just here in the program, throwing that referee under the bus like that. Yeah, completely agreed. Completely agreed. But you know what? The NBA does it too. I mean, the NBA issued a statement here. What was that? One of the Pacers and Cavs games where right there at the end of the game, the league came out and said, oh yeah, the referee missed that call. That should have been goaltending. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about there, but I mean, but they actually, you know, they went to the, the distance to even have where the referee himself is making uh, the public apology or admitting his wrong there. You know, to me, it, this is uh, something that they've added into this program that, that it just didn't really need. You already saved grace with Roman spearing Brock through the cage. Uh, it showed that he was dominant. It still keeps him there where. When the time need be, he can insert himself right back in there as a as a proper challenger to Brock Lesnar. I know a lot of people don't don't want to hear that, but that is the narrative they're looking for. They had that there. They had an easy out. You could you could have just went with yes. It, it does say the feet have to touch the floor, but this is like in a case like in the NFL where you know if you catch the ball five yards in and you slide on your back out of the you know out of bounds it's still a catch because the majority of your body was in play you know i keep hearing this narrative and i'm not sure that this is actually the case all right i'm not sure that this both feet have to touch the floor thing is accurate 
when it comes to a cage match. Have we ever ran into this before? Where both guys hit the floor at the same time and they have specified that both feet have to hit the floor? Or are we just thinking that because this event happened to be at a Royal Rumble and the only way to get eliminated from a Royal Rumble is both feet have to touch the floor? Is that actually a rule of a cage match? I think it. I think they do have it. You have to. I think you know they usually play it up. You just have to escape the cage. Uh, we have seen it where you know they both members are like are dangling from the side of the cage and they fall at the same time, and they have gone back to see who touched first. Uh, but WWE themselves went to great lengths, even on the commentary, to to continually bring up this two feet touching the floor. Yeah, but I'm I'm not sure that that's accurate. I'm not sure that that's actually accurate. I just think you know they're just going, they're going overboard trying to go with this this angle that now they're playing up this two feet. You know, Brock's the majority of Brock's body touched. That should have been good enough. Roman looks strong. In either case, he looks strong because I mean it was he was the one uh, that caused the damage there. So he has a right to to ask for a challenge later on. Uh, I think this is one of those cases where they're going with this two feet thing just to really solidify, just to really hammer home, uh, you know, they're what they want us to all believe is that Roman is the best. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty checked out on Roman reigns. I'm also pretty checked out on Brock Lesnar at this point. Just kind of, just kind of how I feel about it. I, I think it's all, you know, because we've had, you know, going into uh, WrestleMania and all that, it, it was terrible build. So we've essentially, we've had, you know, we're going on, you know, the calendar just flipped over. We're on about five months or four or five months of this stuff. Well, it feels like about four or five years of this stuff. Well, the good news is Brock's going away for a little bit, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, the problem is he's going away with the title. Like, you know, I, I, I was all for going into WrestleMania. Let's make it a squash match. Tear off the Band-Aid already. Just, just have Roman go in there, squash Lesnar, raise up the title, get it done and over with. Instead of just tearing the Band-Aid off, they have taken a pocket knife out of their pocket and they have decided to actually cut their arm off with a pocket knife in the slowest, most painful way possible. I just don't understand this booking whatsoever if the mission is to keep Roman Reigns as a babyface. I thought there was some very good insight from Steve King on the Wednesday locker room. I, what Was that from Steve? Boy, now I'm second-guessing which show I actually heard this on. I think it was Steve. This sounds like something Steve would say. That he thinks that this is actually the beginning of a Roman Reigns heel turn. Roman Reigns was out there bitching. Vince doesn't often have his baby faces, let alone his lead baby face, out there complaining, I should be the champion, but that's not a Vince McMahon babyface thing to do. Maybe we are turning Roman Reigns. Maybe we are. Uh, I, I think it, you know it would be very welcome, uh, and I think you know they they eventually. It, everyone has been saying this from uh, those that have been very very inside. You know, individuals like Stone Cold Austin to right down to guys like us, uh, right down to guys like Jersey Mike. Uh, it's everyone's been saying, let this turn him heel, and then eventually he could get over as the biggest baby face in the company. Yeah, just got to get it out of his system. He's got to get it out. We got to get it out of our system and he's got to get it out of his system because at this point, Roman Reigns just feels checked out. 
Like there's no passion there. He comes walking out on the stage Monday night and you could just almost kind of see this look come over his face where he goes, here we go again. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, we're spending a lot of time here on Roman. We're talking about passion and, and someone that's actually getting it done properly. Uh, so he gets interrupted here by Samoa Joe. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I was all with this show for about the first five minutes. Roman comes out, cuts his promo. He gets interrupted by Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe cuts another killer promo. Joe is just on another level right now. Killer promo. After the Joe promo, we bring out Jinder Mahal. And I'm thinking, this is, this is freaking perfect. There's no way in hell Roman Reigns is going to get booed over Jinder Mahal. Montreal proved me wrong. Montreal cheered Jinder Mahal more than Roman Reigns. They cheered Samoa Joe on a video screen more than Roman Reigns. Man, I was a little disappointed we didn't get Joe live. Uh, I think that would have been, uh, uh, that would have really, that would have got me a little more interested if we could have seen something between these two uh, before, you know, their big match coming up on Sunday. But, you know, in the gender case, you, you and I have talked about this when we were actually, you know, kind of breaking down the shakeup and where things kind of line up. And you threw it out there, you know, for Raw, if the goal is to bring over some superstars that you can pair up against a Roman Reigns where Roman doesn't necessarily take the heel heat uh, from the audience, Jinder uh, is perfect for what you would guess would be perfect for that scenario. But they didn't do themselves any favors running, you know, running this out there for the first time in Jinder's homeland. Yeah. Yeah. Canada's I, pretty loyal like that. Well, I mean, it always has it, been. I mean, let alone you're running it out. You're running it out. Now, if, if you're going to do this somewhere like in the States, uh, maybe in a more conservative area, you know, maybe down south, Texas, somewhere along those lines, uh, then maybe you get more of the reaction that, that you're hoping to get here where gender is getting the heat instead of getting, you know, revered. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad timing, bad timing. But I mean, people still in Montreal did not like gender Mahal. They like gender Mahal when he's talking smack to Roman Reigns. But when he's talking smack about Jeff Hardy, when he's talking smack about anybody else, we boo Jinder Mahal. Well, and you were talking about, you know, you pointed out that in Reigns delivery or just in his verbiage, he was pointing the finger. Uh, and a lot of people don't, you know, in any case, especially from your hero, uh, from someone that you're, that you're supposed to look up to as a role model, you don't want to hear those kinds of excuses. And then Joe comes out and tells Roman what a failure he is. Well, and then Jinder comes out and says the first thing he co comes out of his mouth is, I can't stand people that make excuses for their failures. Yep. And then, and then I'm all on board with this. I'm like, Roman Reigns versus Jinder Mahal? Hell yes. That should be the program going forward. That will get Roman Reigns cheered. And then what do they do? They bring out Sami Zayn. Who's from like, I don't know, Montreal. And he gets a ridiculous pop. You would have thought Stone Cold came freaking walking out there. He gets an enormous pop. Then they bring out Kevin Owens, who gets an even bigger pop than Sami Zayn. You think that's why they, they had these guys come individually so he could get those two big pops? I don't know. If, if the idea is to get Roman Reigns over as a babyface, I don't know what in the hell the idea was here. Because it didn't work. <laughs> Whatever it was, it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're assembling a Team Canada right there in Canada. In the heart and, of Canada. 
and you're having them speak French on the way to the ring. <laughs> that was just stupid. Uh, what did you think of the French chants? Like, did it almost add to it that, like, yeah, the fans are really into it, and yeah, the fans are chanting, but we don't know what the hell they're saying. This is great. I kind of enjoyed that all week. Uh, hey, it goes in for, you know, as WWE would like us to believe, it's Bizarro World. One thing of very much importance that happened during this segment, though, I thought was the involvement of Bobby Lashley when the, the three heels are beating down your lead baby face. And we all know that Roman Reigns doesn't have any friends. Originally, I thought this was going to be the setup for the shield reunion. I expected Seth to come running out. And then I thought maybe Ambrose is coming back from injury. It's going to be three on three and you're going to get the shield here. I thought that's how they were going to counter. Is, Am- Sam is Ambrose and- due back? I don't know when Ambrose is coming back. I don't know if Ambrose is coming back. I'm not even sure if I care if Ambrose comes back. I was going to say, I think he's still got some time on the shelf there, but you know, just to talk with Lashley, it it is nice to finally, you know, he's been around for a couple of weeks and he's just kind of been there. So at least now we are establishing something with him. We do have a somewhat of a direction. Uh, I don't, I still don't know if it's enough. Uh, You know, yes, he looks like a, he looks like a superstar. He is everything that that you want for that position, Uh, but they haven't really done anything with him. And really what they've done is stripped him down to just the uh, the factory made cookie cutter superstar. While I agree, I also feel like this week was important for him because this week, in putting him in a tag match with Roman Reigns with Braun Strowman, didn't you just define Bobby Lashley as your number three babyface? I'm pretty sure since he's come back, has he been in like? Uh, it has been every main event, but he's been in quite a few main events, right? Quite a few. I mean, they're positioning him in the right place. We're just not actually developing the character at all. Well, as I was saying, you know, there was, you, you look back at his most memorable moment with the company in his first run uh, that involves uh, our president, Donald Trump. Uh, they're not going to revisit that. They're not going to highlight that right now. It, it, that's, there's too much hot water at play for them right now, right there. Yeah, because, you know, a black guy coming out and speaking good about Trump, that, that'll definitely go over well. Ask Kanye West. I don't think that they even want any, they won't even want any mention of Trump right now on their programming. Nope. Uh, and then he's also, you know, his background, he is a, uh, he's a former Army Ranger, uh, proudly served his country. I almost wonder if anything kind of detail, you know, dealing with military, because, you know, we've got conflicts now going on around the globe that we're involved in here. Uh, if they want to stay away from, from any kind of uh, negatives with that, uh, and then just as simple move sets, you know, they, they don't, well, talk about his background again real quick. They don't even make any mention of his MMA background, which is something that should be a standout, but apparently those, uh, those gimmicks are reserved for Ronda and Brock. Uh, and then they took away his spear because I guess that's for Roman. So you, you've stripped him down here. At least they're giving us a little direction. I just don't know if it's enough. I think I think we might get a lot more direction come Sunday. At least that's kind of what I'm hoping. And I know where you're going with this thing. Uh, you're talking about a, a potential turn. To me, I'm on the other side of the fence here. I think that you have uh, the potential for a, a truly great African-American role model within the company, uh, something that, that they really need. I would go that route, but I know you're you're kind of thinking he's going to turn here. Well, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of when I look at the top of the card, I see Roman Reigns, I see Braun Strowman, I see Seth Rollins, I see Finn Balor, I see Bobby Lashley. 
when I look at the heel side, I see Kevin Owens, I see Sami Zayn, I see um, um, Elias, Baron Corbin, Jinder Mahal. Like as a heel, I feel like Lashley would have a much higher place on the card. I, I see what you're saying there, and he has proven that he could, he could play a tremendous heel. Yeah, I'm just that's that's kind of how I'm looking at it, and and but, from the perspective. Okay, now he immediately gets in. You know, he's going to be inserted into one of the top heels if a turn would happen. Uh, but then, would you be concerned that he just becomes feeder for a Braun Strowman and a, a Roman Reigns? Yeah, that that of course becomes the fear then. That, of course, becomes the fear. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Braun Strowman here, too. Um, I'm As much as I like Bobby Lashley coming out to Roman Reigns' aid, isn't it a little weird that Braun Strowman is going to come to Roman Reigns' aid? I mean, considering the way that Braun Strowman got over as the biggest babyface in the company is by murdering Roman Reigns. Like what principle is Braun like Braun Strowman just walks around and mindlessly murders people. That's his gimmick. Is he pissed off that somebody else is murdering somebody? What what's the angle here? I don't I don't see the connection. Well, even going with I could even say, you know what, that that feud has settled down. Uh, it happened a, a little while ago. I could see where, hey, you know, he and Braun has refocused in different directions. That makes sense, but Still, where is the incentive? I mean, what is the drive for him to to insert? I mean, he really doesn't have any beef with any of these individuals. Right. Like, uh, why, maybe, why would Braun Strowman come save Roman Reigns, but Seth Rollins didn't? Maybe it was just for the sake of Braun likes a big fight. I guess, man. I guess. It's now, just that's that's I'm just feeling a disconnect there. One thing that was kind of weird I think it would maybe it explains why Braun came out with this came out at this time. It was almost as if they all knew about the six man before the segment happened because they immediately flashed that graphic that this match was going down. It wasn't like we got a current angle announcement. It was the graphic was ready to go. Yep. Uh, immediately following. So maybe that's, that's why he did this. He already, he already knows that he's going to be in this match. So he's going to go out there and sign up with his teammates. The other aspect of this that I dislike is now for Backlash, we have set up Lashley and Strowman versus Owens and Zayn. Why? Well, I guess, you know, I mean, just filler on the card here, but yeah, this one really just kind of came out of nowhere. Like, you mean to tell me that Braun Strowman and a 10-year-old could beat the four-time Raw Tag Team Champions in a match at WrestleMania, but Braun Strowman needs Bobby freaking Lashley to take on a cabbie and a fat guy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, little bit of a disconnect going on there with the uh, Braun Strowman story. I almost feel like we have to turn Lashley just so Braun Strowman has something to do. I, I, I'll agree with you there. He needs something because this again, you know, on the road to WrestleMania, they didn't have a plan for Braun. They did, I don't think they really expected him to be over like he was, to be so beloved. So he get he got thrown into like this novelty act that was going on. Uh, and it still seems like, you know, this month since then, he's kind of floating. Uh, I will give him credit. You know, it, it did kind of reestablish his dominance uh, and did show that he is 
that they that now they are acknowledging and they firmly believe that he is one of the top babies with that big win in the rumble there. But everything right now just seems like it's floating around. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the undercard. Elias and Bobby Roode, you got anything to say about this match? Because I've got nothing other than Bobby Roode needs to turn heel so bad. But I mean, it's like we're just saying the same thing every week. Please, God, turn Bobby Roode heel. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, we should just like make that a new segment, uh, get a sound bite, and that's all we need to play until it actually happens. Uh, this thing is doing nothing. Elias, I thought he, you know, as usual. He did amazing with his uh, little promo there. Uh, then the bell rang. There was nothing spectacular in the match. Uh, I don't really know where they're going with the uh, the whole throat injury the, yeah, thing. Yeah, the I throat just, injury. Unless, unless, unless Rude tries to like go for some revenge, uh, going after Elias's throat because I guess that would be his money maker. Here's here's an idea. Here's an idea. All right. Here's the deal. Bobby Rude can no longer talk. His larynx was destroyed when his throat hit the turnbuckle. So we have to bring in the cowboy James Storm to talk for glorious Bobby Roode now. Yeah, just taking Roode out of the equation for a little bit. I, I would like to see a Storm and Elias program. Oh, yeah. The cowboy versus the drifter. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I could get behind that. Absolutely. I could get behind that. Uh, speaking of kind of drifting into nothing, then we have, uh, the, the rest of the, the, the raw men's undercard, which is Baron Corbin versus fun. Anything that is fun, whether it be no way, Jose or Titus world slide, Baron Corbin is out to destroy it. That I, I feel like that's Baron Corbin's new gimmick. If you're fun, Baron Corbin is coming for you. Uh, what, what do you think about Corbin so far on the switch one switch over here? Do you think they're, he's in the right direction here? Or are you feeling anything from him? Or? Well, I, th- I feel like we have to get out of this Balor and Rollins thing. And then you shift to Baron Corbin. To chase the United States championship. I, I agree with you. You know, we were kind of talking about people. You and I were talking off air before about people that could, that could potentially challenge Braun. Uh, Corbin's obviously one of those guys, but. You don't want to. He's got to be rebuilt first. Yeah. You don't want to overexpose that too early and, and kind of give it away too soon. So so first things first, Corbin's got to get his heat back. How does Corbin get his heat back? We're going to take out the conga line. We're going to take out Titus World Slide. If you're fun, Baron Corbin is coming for you. Deleters of Worlds, be on the lookout for Lone Wolves. Then we have the Intercontinental Program. Rollins and the Miz. I, I I don't even understand why this match is happening. Like I, I I'm just checked out on it. I, I understand Miz is owed his rematch and blah blah blah. But I just feel like on the confidence pool this week, however many points I can put on Seth Rollins, I'm putting all of them on Seth Rollins. Right? Is is that where you're at on that match too? For going into backlash. Still, uh, I'm going with Rollins. Still got to like look at the other matches there about how i'm gonna weigh them out but yeah i, I don't think we're gonna get any kind of shake up and i mean it does it makes sense as you're right Miz is owed his rematch and with all this quick turnaround they needed to just start getting this card together and so that's an easy plug-in you don't need a a big story there uh but you know the what we really have the bigger story is you know this slow burn that we're getting and now it's actually taking off here between rollins and balor my only problem here with this episode 
I'm get, why are they why are they continually giving us this, this match on television? Yeah, I mean it it was a really good match. I very much enjoyed it. I thought there were some really great sequences. I wish it was on pay-per-view. Yeah, I think eventually we are going to get one on pay-per-view. Uh, I was thinking that I mean we've already seen this thing a handful of times though, but I, mean, I was thinking with the one upsmanship that they kind of got going on between them, maybe this would lead to like a best of seven series. Ooh, I could see that. But at this point, though, I don't know if I care because I've already seen it five times. I feel like I feel like it almost almost needs to be two out of three falls because it feels like every time they fight, the other guy wins, right? Because at this point, Rollins is up three to two. I think it is. I would I would much more enjoy uh, looking at it now. What we know, go into a pay per view where it is two out of three. I, I don't need to see this thing a potential seven more times. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, once again, our boys, the Miztourage, interacting with uh, Balor and Rollins here. For some reason, they really want to get together with these two guys. I'm, I, I, I much rather would have seen the Miztourage interact with, I don't know, the fashion police. I'm going to keep pushing that until it happens. Uh, I just want, I, I wish they could be taken a little serious here. We got two great talents. Uh, Put them with the fashion police. Then I'll take them seriously. No, I, I don't want them anywhere near the fashion police. Oh, uh, you're I don't want them near the ascension. Uh, no, but I, I do see them eventually interacting with one another because I think, uh, especially in the case of Bo Dallas, there there's plenty of tickets to be written. Yes, I completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Uh, so I guess before we uh, bounce over to uh, the, the SmackDown men's and the tag team division. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Let's let's throw it over to the Jersey Mike segment presented by Kleenex. Introducing new Dr. Kleenex tissues. Now in prettier packages. Sometimes a little... Rick, what the hell was that? Yeah. Did, did you catch that? I mean, what, what happened? That wasn't. I, I, I will look into this a little bit further. That was that was kind of weird. Um, what the hell? <clears throat> sorry, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit disheveled now. I'm the hell's going on so uh let, let, let's talk about the women's uh divisions here uh let, let's start things off with page uh what did you think of uh the page promo announcing that aj styles and nakamura was going to be two out of three falls um i i i thought the delivery was fine i i i thought the script was halfway decent um but why like why why is the general manager making this a no DQ match just because the heel is hitting the baby face and the balls. Like the general manager just gave the lead baby face permission to fight dirty. Well, and then you know, you could also look at it too, where you're not doing your champion any favors because now you're, you're overplaying the hand of the villain. Now everything, now all that is legal, right? Like, I, I, it, it seems very confusing to me. Like, why would Paige make this decision? You think if you 
you know, if, if, if you're a true commissioner and you're looking for the best in-ring competition that you would, you would take away, like start banning things, not allowing it. Yeah. It, 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 I don't understand this. I, I don't understand the stipulation. Like I said, I thought the delivery was fine. I thought the script was fine, but as I was watching it, I'm just going, why would she do that? Yeah. I mean, you, it, Logically thinking, you know, if you're there for the best interest of competition, uh, she should be putting it out there that, you know, if Nakamura continues these actions, then he will be suspended or even fired. Right. You, you, you've ruined how many like dream matches at this point? Well, let's, uh, let's, let's be honest here. You know, if there's anyone out there, that's, that's a huge fan of it. You know, Paige loves the low blow. Yeah, there is that. There is that. Uh, let's, 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 uh, go ahead and let's, let's stick with page. Let's, what did you think about this absolution dissolution thing that they had going on backstage? Was that even necessary? Like, did they, did they really need to pay that any kind of lip service? Because like all of a sudden page is just like, Oh, Oh no, no, we're, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. And here's the, here's what, like one thing we, we get on them all the time cause they don't pay attention to like, like little details and, and tie loose ends together and things like that. Uh, this is a case where maybe, yeah, they were like, you know what? Someone might wonder about this. And they actually went overboard, uh, with an extended segment explaining this thing. This is actually one of those things that you could have just dismissed and no one would have cared about. Right. It was just like, okay, page is a general manager. Now absolution is just the two of them. Well, and you could have done something here in passing as well. We didn't need this drawn out explanation between. Right. Yeah. It just seemed very, very awkward. This is one of those things that they, that you could have just had commentary put over. And then by comparison, by comparison. All right. I put down WWE all the time. I never have anything good to say about WWE. Here is the best thing that yeah, happened. That's, that's the word on the street, man. Here's the best thing that happened on WWE TV this week. The Iconics and Carmella promo was fucking perfect. I even got out my stopwatch. Two minutes and five seconds for the three of them. And it was perfect. You go out there and you stand in the ring and you give them a microphone to talk for 10 minutes and it gets overexposed and it gets boring and I either go to sleep or I change the channel. Two minutes and five seconds, fucking perfect. I don't know why I cannot remember this segment. Renee was there to uh, interview the Iconics, and then the Iconics busted out their Minnesota accent, eh? Which was hilarious. Trying to pass off their Minnesota accent as a Canadian accent, and Renee just straight up called them on it. They take the microphone away from Renee Young, run her off. Then Carmella comes moonwalking in. They cut their little promo. Carmella moonwalks off. Mella's money. Everybody gets in their little catchphrases. It was perfect. It was a perfect promo. For the three of those girls, that was perfect. But they can't carry 10 freaking minutes. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that. I, I am completely spacing on this. <laughs> on the other hand, then we get Becky, Oscar, and Charlotte, and they get their little two-minute promo. And it almost feels like they're teasing a Becky Lynch heel turn here. Do not turn Becky Lynch heel. She is like the moral compass of SmackDown. She is the Ricky the Dragon steamboat of SmackDown. Do not turn Becky Lynch heel. Quit having Asuka act like she's four. 
And if you want to turn somebody heel, turn Charlotte heel because she's kind of a demeaning bitch when she talks. Well, I think, you know, if, if you're going to build, if, if you need that super villain over on the blue brand, uh, I agree with you 100%. You know, Char Char is the way to go. And I could see why they're hesitant because there is some with the name value. But I understand why they're hesitant. But I think even with that name value, she is better is kind of that condescending bitch. Yeah, because when I think of Ric Flair, I don't think of him as a happy-go-lucky baby face. He was the dirtiest player in the game. And that's what I want to see from Charlotte. And, and to even what further pushes that there, uh, which is kind of perplexing over on the, on the Raw side too, you've got, you know, stature-wise, your, your two most intimidating figures are Nia and Charlotte. You know, take any kind of uh, anything that I, I feel maybe towards Nia's character or whatever there, just stature-wise, when they're in the ring against their opponents, those are those like those big dominating forces. Uh, that you kind of want to be rooting against so, you know, one of these smaller underdog girls can get the best of it sometimes. It's the same reason you have to turn Bobby Lashley heel, because Braun Strowman needs something to do, and you need a big, powerful dude to go up against Braun Strowman. Now, now back to Becky, though, real quick, though. Man, she has, she has absolutely done, like, almost nothing uh, since that initial SmackDown Women's Championship run. Yep. Uh, she, she's just kind of there, so... Maybe I could. I would be open to the idea of a heel turn if it means that she actually gets something meaningful. If you want to turn somebody heel so that you can do Becky Lynch versus Asuka, which is a match that I very much want to see. I very much want to see that match. Both those girls can freaking go. Then you have Asuka turn on Becky. Not Becky turn on Asuka. Yeah, and you've got them. And we've seen... Uh, a heel Oscar in NXT. It, it's very entertaining. Super uh, overconfident, dance around, not take anything seriously. Oscar, yeah, that works. Becky Lynch trying to be a bitch? Hell no! Hell no! It's like trying to turn Italia into a baby face. Hell no! It just doesn't work. She's the crazy cat lady. Do you think they would be hesitant to turn Oscar because we already have Nakamura as a heel? Probably. Probably. And especially on SmackDown, probably. Yeah, I mean, because you're gonna, you almost have like the same acts. Uh, yeah, but as like she's not. And- she's not gonna go around and punch. Are, are you saying that Becky Lynch has a dick? Well, you could get a a clam jam. Oh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Um, what did you think of the match? I know, I know, Jersey very much enjoyed this match. I did not at all enjoy this match. What did you think of this match? I don't really think that the SmackDown women's division, you know, since the shakeup, uh, we were praising, you know, how talented this, how talented the division is. I don't think I've seen a good match from the division since the shakeup. Well, the problem is they have a ton of talent inside of the division. The problem is they're all on the same team. Like this match went 14 minutes with the babies eventually winning the match. This match could have went four minutes with the babies eventually winning the match. I mean, it's on any plane of existence. Can I suspend my disbelief so far to think that Carmella, Peyton Royce, and Billy Kay stand a snowball's chance in hell against Charlotte, Asuka, and Becky Lynch? 
Yeah, I, I got to agree with you here. They could have cut this thing 10 minutes and it would have been just as effective. If not more. Uh, this is just, you know, this is like a filler right now until we can actually get moving where, you know, the three babies that were teaming here start working programs with each other. Yeah, it's just 14 minutes of this. I mean, 50-50 booking. I, I felt like all this did was bring down Becky, Oscar, and Charlotte having to go 50-50 with Peyton and Billy Kay and Carmella. I mean, the whole, like, I, I was kind of comparing Carmella to The Miz with Jersey the other day. And I realized it doesn't even work because The Miz can outsmart people. The Miz is the smartest guy in the room. Carmella's a fucking idiot. You can't even what? work the I outsmarted you gimmick with Carmella. I think she has shown that, that she has a little cunning side to herself. Well, she's an know, opportunist. She... Absolutely. But cunning Carmella. Well, I mean, she's, she's been able to, to uh, steal some major victories. Uh, right. Maybe the comparison there is a little off. We're cunning to opportunist. Uh, but, it, but you should, you should be able to get something like that, especially if she, when, she's, when she's with the Iconics. God, you would think. You would think. Let's go ahead and round out the uh, the SmackDown women's division because there is one more woman I wanted to talk about here, and that, of course, is Rusev. I mean, I mean Lana. I mean Lana. Um, so we get this backstage segment with Lana approaching Rusev and telling Rusev there's something missing from Rusev Day. Uh, I was not a fan of this. I'm not a fan either because I felt like this marked the beginning of the end of Rusev Day. They are going to try to turn Rusev back into the Bulgarian brute. And it's it, you're going to have Rusev turn heel on Aiden English? This is I, I wasn't down with this. I over on one wrestling video on YouTube, uh you can catch Big Ray and myself there Tuesday nights is is right you know almost immediately following Smackdown. We're going to give you a breakdown of what happens throughout uh both Raw and SmackDown each and every week. I would he was all about this. Uh, for me, that that was my biggest fear that this is this is the end of Rusev Day, uh, and you are you're sabotaging one of the hottest acts in the company with your relationship between Rusev and English. We can't kill it. We can't kill it. The only way to fight it now, break them the fuck up. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, you know, at this point, I really think, and I know it, it was a hot act for the time. Uh, and they're probably looking for something, uh, some way to get Lana back involved. Uh, she's very beautiful, very marketable. People are on there. I think she's actually going to drag him down this time, uh, as we've seen that she's she's done in, in real scenario, in real scenarios or real situations. I am all for Lana getting back together with Rusev. I'm all for Lana joining Rusev Day. But there is no reason to cut Aiden English out of this thing. There is no reason to change this act. If you want to make Lana part of this act, then you go with the Lana number one. That's her role in this act. She's not replacing Aiden English. She's not going to flirt with Aiden English and get Rusev jealous so that he goes and turns on Aiden English. I don't want none of that bullshit. You make this a three-person team. Would you, could you see maybe instead of, since, you know, we are having, they do have their villainous ways about them because they keep trying to push that on us. Uh, but for the most part, even in a heel way, they, they're kind of fun loving. Uh, instead of Lana being so 
tied down with the the ravishing Russian gimmick where you know she's that strict that boss she runs the show would it make a little sense to maybe bring out some more of a CJ oh I think that was a lot of CJ and very little Lana when you go back and rewatch that segment there's a little bit of Russian accent there but not nearly as well, harsh I mean, not, as it normally was well I mean just not in like the her the way she delivers, but what the message she is delivering. Cause I mean, Lana, traditionally that character, uh, she wants to be in charge. She runs the show. Yeah. Well, you notice she was wearing, uh, uh, some, uh, very shortcut shorts and a Rusev day t-shirt with her hairball. Nice. And yeah, I, 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 I'm all for Lana joining this act, but I don't want her changing the act. Yeah. I don't want it to change. I don't want it to, to dissolve. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, Raw women's division. Uh, I guess let's start with, you know, the number one priority, that being Ronda Rousey. Uh, Ronda Rousey chilling at ringside while Natty takes on Mickey with Alexa chilling at ringside. And then Nia comes out a little bit later on. But what do you think of uh, this is Ronda Rousey's big involvement on the show? You know, again, I feel like I say this every week. They need to just pull it back with her. Uh, if she's not going to be competing, you know, on Raw, if you're saving her for those big moments, uh, I think, you know, overexposing her on the weekly is a mistake. And it also, it speaks to, you know, they made this point that she wanted to be, she wanted to be a true WWE superstar. She didn't want the special treatment. Uh, but by not having her get in there and compete, you're essentially showing that she does get that special treatment that she isn't on the same playing field as, as the other girls, because they're, they're out there putting matches and competing week in week out. Yeah. How many, how many matches has Rousey had on Monday night raw? It seems to me Sasha Banks has a match every week. Right. And, and you know, and they're trying to make up the focal here. I, there was a, a, the highlight of this match for me, uh, was a simple spot on the outside. Uh, and I chalked this up more to Alexa, uh, but Rousey was, she did her part in this thing is when they did the chase. Yeah, it, the the only thing I didn't like about it was it felt like Rousey had to run about half speed because, like, on no plane of existence do I think Alexa Bliss could outrun Ronda Rousey. Uh, I, I'm going to go the other way. I think, you know, with the Bliss character and all that, uh, she's going to be high talented if she knows Ronda Rousey's uh, on, her, on her tail. Um, and then, of course, we get the involvement from Nia Jax coming back. And I, I was really kind of hoping they were going to play with that a little bit, you know, where Nia would chase Alexa back and then Alexa would run back into Rousey. And like you could have had a little moment there. But no, she just goes and jumps over the barricade. Any chance in hell Alexa Bliss is taking this title back on Sunday? Because I see I none. I don't, you know, we were talking about, uh, for those that want to go over to Facebook and, and join us over in the Hobby Media Discussion Group, we are our round two of season three of the Pick'em Challenge. That's going to be going down this weekend. The threat, the entry thread for that's going to open uh, on Friday, depending on when you're listening to that. So it might be up, but you want to go check that out. I, we were just talking about, you know, we both agree 100% Seth Rollins is going over. This match, I think we both agree here again that there's 100% Nia is going over in this thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Alexa take that title back, but it just it doesn't make any sense on any plane of existence, even though Alexa is killing it with these moments of bliss. I, I was going to say, again, the moment of bliss was, was probably the highlight of the show for me. Yep, completely agreed. Completely agreed. 
Um, I, I very much look forward to the day when we turn Alexa Bliss babyface and she can use this cunningness and her promo ability and to flip it around onto the heels because that is going to be something fun to watch as long as they don't turn her into Dolph Ziggler. Uh, then I guess really the only other thing would be the Ruby Riot versus Sasha Banks match and people looking for their lighters as we try to even spark this slow burn that is Banks and Bailey. Yeah, I think, you know, this was just more about that program. Um, and this is really, it seems, I know they're trying to keep people on their toes here, uh, but the direction where we, should we, are they trying to get us to feel sympathy for both of these ladies? I think they're trying to make both of them unlikable at this point, because that's what, if that's the mission, they're completely succeeding. I, I was going to say, I think they're trying to get sympathy behind each of these ladies, uh, but in doing so, it's backfiring. And so instead of us really getting behind one or the other, which I firmly believe that we should be supporting Bailey here, uh, but if, if, even if they wanted to go the different direction, you know, give us something to work with here. Right now, what you're doing with this, uh, it kind of juggling kind of where you want to go with it. Uh, you're you're pretty much just putting people off to it. Wait, now you say you feel like we should be supporting Bailey here. Do well, you mean, I think do it, you mean like that should be the narrative, or inside of the narrative here, you see it as Bailey is right and Sasha is wrong? No, I think they should be telling a story where we support Bailey. Gotcha. Okay, but just wanted not, just not, wanted to clarify that. Yeah, they're not giving us that. Just wanted to clarify that. That's all. Um, I I, I felt like the story of this match was. Sasha can't do it on her own. And I expect next week we're going to get Ruby Riot versus Bailey. And Bailey can't do it on her own. And we're gonna we're gonna force a reconciliation here because we have absolutely no idea what we're doing. It's like they started this program without having any idea what in the hell they were gonna do with it. So let's just put them back together and we'll worry about it later. That's pretty much what I think is gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Let's talk about the tag division. So that was the tag division. That's that's pretty much what I got there. Uh, the tag division was not really featured on either show this week. Uh, we, we, we get the Deleters of Worlds little promo. We got the AOP beating up some jobbers. And then over on SmackDown, we get a singles match between half of the bar and a third of the New Day. Well, I was going to say, you know, uh, if we're looking you know, at the two days worth of of tag action, the, I guess the, the highlight and the standouts were actually the, the local enhancement guys on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was pretty much it. Um, I, I thought they were, I thought they were pretty entertaining. The leaders of worlds are, they're, they're just kind of off doing their own thing. They did all character this week. I thought that was a smart move. As far as the AOP goes, what are we going to do with the AOP? Because we cannot be giving these guys microphones on a regular basis of any kind here because I think I only understood about half of what they said and I'm not even sure that the other half of what they said was in English uh, I have, have to agree with you hold on a second will you can we pause for a minute yeah we'll be right back hey kid you want a toy uh-huh, uh-huh. How about a bike? No. A video game? No! 
Well, okay. You pick a toy. Yes, log. All kids love log. What rolls downstairs, the motor and pairs, rolls over your neighbor's dog. What's great for a snack, it fits on your back, it's log, log, log. It's log, log. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's log, log. It's better than bad, it's good. Everyone wants a log. from Blamo. Any other thoughts on the tag division? Because I really got nothing on this entire division right now. Well, you know, we're sitting, we're talking about AOP. It just seems then, you know, taking away that mouthpiece, uh, that's going to, I think that's going to be shown to be a big mistake uh, here very shortly. They need a mouthpiece. I'm just not sure who that mouthpiece is. Is there anybody that stands out to you other than Steve Carino, who I pitch for everything? Oh, Carino, I, I would love that, man. I was kind of thinking outside of, of the company right now. You know, we've we seen them. They kind of said they're ready to move on from, from Paul uh, Ellering. Maybe they take it to a next level. I think someone that would be great with them, I don't know if it would be like long term, but it, it may be for a couple months or a year run. Like an Eric Bischoff. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, I know you're not a big Lucha Underground watcher, um, but you, you kind of know the overlying story arc. What if we did something with the AOP, kind of like uh, they, they did with Pentagon there for a while, where he's reporting to a master, but you don't necessarily know who that master is? I, th- I, think, uh, I think that would be intriguing. Where they are getting uh, someone is kind of pulling the strings for them. Yeah, somebody's or, playing puppet master, but it's you know like a year long build until we can get AOP and Samoa Joe on the same show. You know, I was going to I was that exactly where I was going to go when you mentioned it, it. That's kind of where my mind immediately went. Was remember when the over in TNA they were doing that with Joe and it was Taz. Yep, that was. Uh, uh, you know, the the manager, the higher power, or however you want to do it. Ooh, Taz think, would know, be a good one for AOP, too. If if they would bring Taz back for any reason, Taz would be a good one for that. When if you can survive if we let you. I, I'm kind of thinking, man, could you imagine a faction with AOP, Joe, and then Taz as kind of the leader? Man. As the coach, you know, the manager, the, the general. Yeah, not that, that not that fun. Joe needs anyone talking for him, but you could, could you could bring those all together uh, and let all of that talent shine. That could be what puts uh, Joe over the top of Brock Lesnar because we know Joe Solo can't beat Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, but Joe and Taz, maybe, maybe that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I like uh, I like Joe and Roman Reigns feuding. Uh, I know we were a little done with Roman, uh, but those two, I, I think they have a great dynamic in there. And, and I and I love watching Joe just beat up Roman Reigns. Uh, I know they they kind of it, it was far too early and it didn't go as planned. Uh, they made a lot of money off T-shirts, but you know, I, maybe like in a year, maybe just after WrestleMania next year, I wouldn't mind seeing you know revisiting the idea of of Joe and AOP versus the Shield. 
Ooh, I like that too. I like that too. I just don't know if that timing works because they already went and kind of spoiled that big reunion. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the SmackDown men's division. Not that it's real deep at this point. Uh, we start things off with Miz TV. Miz cuts his little promo on Seth Rollins, trying to get me to actually believe that he's going to win the Intercontinental Championship. Here's a hint. Didn't work. Uh, then he brings out Jeff Hardy. Uh, I did love the line when Miz says, uh, I, I, I'd shake your hand, but you just high-fived all these people in the audience. So I very much enjoyed that. Miz, Miz, and, Miz and Joe on the same show fighting for uh, airtime is uh, going to be very, very fun to watch over the course of the next year. Uh, then, of course, we get the introduction of Randy Orton. I love Orton coming out before Miz could properly introduce him. Uh, Randy, you, you interrupted my introduction. So? <laughs> Just Randy with his don't give a fuck attitude. That's actually become his gimmick now. Randy Orton is just so chill that he just doesn't care. So now we're going to get Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy at Backlash. U.S. title, of course, Orton was owed his rematch, never got the rematch. Now Jeff Hardy's the champion, so it's only logical that Randy Orton fight Jeff Hardy for the title. Makes sense. Phil's TV time. Just a nice little undercard feud that they kind of set up in a week. It works. Well, it's, it goes back again. You know, we've had so much going on this month. They had to have a quick turnaround. Uh, so, I mean, it, it does make sense. Randy needs a rematch. Let's go ahead and plug this match in. Then we get the introduction of Shelton Benjamin. And again, we're giving Shelton Benjamin mic time, but we're not giving Bobby Lashley any. That just blows my freaking mind. It almost feels like they're setting this up for a triple threat. What are the the odds that Benjamin gets involved in this match and kind of plays spoiler for these two and then going into whether it be Money in the Bank or SummerSlam, that's your United States Championship match is a triple threat. Well, you know, it's it's so funny to think about the you know, the, the talents involved here. I mean, this this would have been like a hot program in what? 2006 yeah you betcha the gold standard versus the viper man it, you know so and it, we've weird. got all three of these guys now in 2018 uh still still great performers very entertaining i'm not trying to knock them at all it's just kind of funny to think you know that we could have been seeing this uh 10 15 years ago yeah absolutely absolutely uh it's a nice little undercard program though uh i'm interested to kind of see where all these guys fall come next tuesday when we actually get into, okay, this is the SmackDown roster. Okay, this is the Raw roster. And I think that's, to me, it's not so much about Sunday because, you know, that's just getting us to a really, the, the real restart point. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost and a stopgap. That's, that's going to be Monday, Tuesday. Okay. We don't, sure. We just came off this pay per view where we had, uh, we're still blending the brands, but now we're going to focus and move forward and we're going to start doing business for our summer programs. Uh, so Monday and Tuesday are the exciting points here. Uh, but like we're saying, you know, we're just trying to get through Sunday. Jeff Hardy retains, I assume. Uh, that's that would it just doesn't seem like it would be very logical to uh, just start, you know, hot shot that hot potato in that title around. Uh, you're back now, but your microphone did cut out there for a second. Like oh, I, I, I could still hear you, but it sounded like okay. your, your microphone unplugged there for a second, just so you know. Yeah, I was playing with a plug. Oh, that's what you get for playing with the plug. Then we get uh, Big Cass. I wish somebody would have played with a plug with him this week. Jesus Christ. I, 
See, that's why I did that. Man, I cannot believe I put Big Cass over on the mic last week. It almost reminds me of in the music business, there's this thing called the sophomore jinx, right? And what happens is you have your entire life to write the first album, and then you have six months to write the follow-up. And a lot of bands fall into that sophomore jinx. It's like Big Cass had like nine months off to sit home and write that promo that he cut last week. And then he showed up this week and they were like, yeah, you're going to beat up a midget. Yeah, this was pretty bad. And it's, I guess they, you know, they were going for uh, some of that classic heat. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. It just is. This didn't do anything for me. Totally missed the mark. Totally missed the mark. Um, evidently, it also missed the mark for the Montreal audience, who I come to find out was yelling, shut the fuck up at Big Cass in French. God bless you, Montreal. God bless you. Really, the only other thing to talk about is the main event program. Uh, the AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, Samoa Joe aspect uh, dude, there was only three matches on this show, and there was one match in the first 80 minutes. This was this was literally talking smack, not SmackDown Live. At one point, they, they, they had had a match that had like four people in it, and they had had 17 other people talk on the show. Hmm. And, and, you, and we usually think of SmackDown as the the wrestling heavy program yep uh, i guess you know we could chalk this up though you know that they are just days removed from from that long long trip you know they have been working extremely hard as of late uh so maybe this was a chance where they were trying to do some business with without necessarily uh overexerting the talent inside the ring i agree but the problem is i just watched three hours of raw the night before that had a whole bunch of wrestling on it so it, it's just like they just ran out of shit to do. Just ran out of time. So for SmackDown, y'all just go out there and cut promos. That's what we'll do. Well, and I, you know, just speaking of this, the program that we're talking about here, man, I, I think uh, everyone got a little excited when you, when you add Joe into this scenario. Yeah, the problem is when you add Joe into this scenario, things really start to get complicated. Um so you have the AJ Styles promo. AJ is getting a little bit of shit for this promo uh, because there's a lot of people that don't think that this promo came off very well, that it almost came off as kind of heelish. Um, to me, it just came off as AJ's fucking exhausted and you wanted him to memorize a 10-minute script. What in the hell do you people want from the guy? I mean, come on. It's not like talking was ever AJ's strong suit. He's come a long way. But it's still not a strong suit. These ridiculous promos just drive me insane. The, the, the entire concept of Shinsuke Nakamura demanding an apology without us seeing Shinsuke Nakamura demand an apology completely loses the effect to me. The Joe promo, once again, freaking awesome. But I thought the best part of the show was when Nakamura's music hit after Joe had cut his promo. And what does Joe do? He drops the microphone and he turns around and he squares up to fight. Now, granted, Nakamura comes in from the back and once again, hits AJ Styles in the balls. Joe was ready to take out Nakamura. Joe's ready to take out AJ Styles. Joe's ready to take out Daniel Bryan. It does not matter 
Who you put in front of Samoa Joe? Somebody put a belt on this guy's shoulder already. Joe is Joe is here to seriously hurt someone. Uh, and if there is anything I am kind of looking forward to for Sunday, is that is the matchup between him and Roman Reigns? I am curious to see where they go. I mean, because I, you think at this point they need to protect both of these guys. I think Joe needs this win more than Roman does. But but I think in their mind though. I could see Joe going over, but I think we're going to get some kind of either, you know, screwy or confusing finish. So, and maybe you do where, and as you were, you know, you had mentioned at the, at the top of segment two here, Roman was very whiny. He was trying to make some excuses and things like that. Uh, so maybe they further that here. He gets screwed out of something again. And then he's out on Monday with some more excuses. What if you end up with a referee stoppage and Roman's like, no bullshit. I can keep going. I can keep going. Oh, man, I hope, you know, I was really sour on it when we were talking about, you know, they're throwing the ref under the bus. But I'm going to say, I bet you, you are 100% right. I bet you we get something where the referee, once again, uh, is on the spot, has to make a very tough, a very tough call. And it goes against Roman Roman Reigns. Yep. That's what I'm predicting. I'm also predicting that Sunday. I've never, I've. Never more have I hoped that you were wrong, but I, <laughs> I, have, I think that you, you've got it. I'm also predicting that Sunday AJ Styles is going to wear a cup and Shinsuke Nakamura is going to try to hit him in the balls and AJ is going to drop him and then AJ is going to pull his cup out of his pants and show it to everybody in the crowd. Huh, look at what I got. And that's going to be, and then he's like going to low blow Shinsuke, kick him in the dick or something and pin him. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen on Sunday. Uh, then you can head on over to uh, WWEshop.com and pick up your P1, your P1 cup. <laughs> the P1 for your P1. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tremendous. Tremendous. Uh, what do you think? Uh, AJ retains and you end up with AJ and Joe going forward. Or Shinsuke takes the championship and you're left with Shinsuke and AJ eventually leading to Shinsuke and Brian. Man, so many directions they could go here, but I, I still think that you've still got a, a decently hot program here between Nakamura and Styles. Uh, I just can't see this thing coming to a conclusion within a month. Doesn't feel like it's time for the blow off, does it? No, I, I still think that you're really still heating up here. Which is ridiculous because it started in January when Shinsuke Nakamura won the Royal Rumble and we're still well, warming up. Like, come uh, well, on. I know, but let's, you know, we look back and we were talking about how bad the build was the WrestleMania. I mean, we still had Babyface there. They were going in with respect. Yep. So, and where we should have had, you know, this chaos villainous Nakamura on the road to WrestleMania and had a great moment there, but they jump started this thing at WrestleMania. I mean, we we went weeks for a time without even seeing the challenger on the road to WrestleMania. So, which do you like better if you had your choice? Because I'm not sure which way I fall on this. If you had your choice, would it, would your main event of SummerSlam be AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe, or would your main event be Shinsuke Nakamura? versus Daniel Bryan with Samoa Joe running around with the money in the bank briefcase. Uh, I love the idea with Joe with the case. 
Uh, as you know, you're talking about there is no one safe from Joe. Uh, that would just add some fuel to that fire. Yeah, because I, I mean, still, Joe could basically walk around and say, I'm the uncrowned WWE championship because you know when I cash this in, I'm collecting. Oh, man. I, I still think your biggest WWE championship match for SummerSlam would actually be AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan. Joe, and then you Joe, throw, Joe cashes in at the end of that match. I'm calling and that. You, and you throw in a dynamic there with Joe um, with that case where he's still playing a, a very crucial part in the storyline. Now, who would you okay, who would you have Joe cash in on at SummerSlam? Uh, obviously, you know, my first thought goes to Brian because Brian's already been cashed on, cashed in on at SummerSlam. Yep. Yep, you would absolutely cash in on Brian, deny him of that moment, and then you set up the the, the chase. Baby underdog Daniel Bryan, big, bad, Samoan, badass champion, not named Roman Reigns. <laughs> and then you still have, you know, AJ, he can still play a little bit of a role there because he'll be, you know, entitled his, uh, his rematch opportunity, and you have all that history uh, already involving him with with the other two. Yep, yep. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. So that's going to wrap things up for season two, episode eighteen. But don't you fret, as Rick and I will be back in action this weekend with our homing brother in the Strangler, Steve King, with our backlash preview. See how that show is going to go down, or should I say, how that show should go down? Uh, be on the lookout for that as well. We will be back in the locker room this Monday over at hackerhameen.podbean.com. Uh, with the uh, reporter of the people, the man with a plan, Big Ray, here to stay. He'll be on to talk some Lucha Libre. Lucha Libre. Jesus Christ, I can't talk. We've been at this for like two hours. Lucha Libre on Monday. Of course, then, you, until then, you can visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. You can find me across all social media platforms at Not in Chargo. Rick, now, I, I just want to throw this out there. I say this on every show. You can find me across all social media platforms at Not Jargo. Now, if you want to talk smack about me, the least you could do is have the decency to tag me in it. I'm not naming names, but you know who you are. Rick, if people uh, who don't understand our banter, how do they find you across all social media? You find me across all social media at the real RBV. Uh, Big Ray seems to have a, a little bit of trouble with that. I guess it's, you know, he just gets me and Billy Ray confused so much. Uh, so I've, I've laid it out there to a little trick for him. It's just like your WWE week. R, red, B, blue, V for view, pay-per-view. That's the order WWE runs in. That's a little trick I've given uh, Big Ray to remember at the real RBV if anyone else need a little help out there. i uh, also like to invite everyone to make sure to be be sure to join us over on Facebook and the Hamini Discussion Group. Uh, we do have a, a big pay-per-view weekend coming up. Even if you're not so excited for the show, we've got a ton of stuff going on in the group. We've got our Pick'em Challenge. We've got live discussions. I'm actually be going live a couple times this weekend, uh, obviously with our preview and some other features that we have going on. So I hope everyone joins us over there. Uh, as you mentioned, Jargo, this weekend we are going to be joined right here on the Hitting March Pro Wrestling Podcast with the one, the only, Strangler Steve King. I mean, uh, those of you that maybe uh, aren't familiar with Steve, uh, he he is with us over on the Hami Media Group. He handles 
responsibilities each and every Wednesday in the locker room and he special guests on a number of other shows, but it's going to be the first time with us. Uh, he's one of the greatest minds uh, that, that you're going to get to sit down and listen to. And we're going to pick his brain about, you know, how they should book this show Sunday and some things that they should be doing going forward. So we're, uh, we're going to revisit our, our little poolside booker. So it's a, it's a little different environment, but it should be a lot of fun. One more plug. If you haven't seen it yet, by the time that you listen to this show, you go to www.njpwworld.com. You pay them 999 yen, which comes up to about $9. And you can watch the match for the ages. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada. Kazuchika Okada. That's it for Rick and I. We'll talk to you this weekend. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. I don't give a